In the holy name of Jesus, amen. amen. You've all been there before. You've all been accused of doing something wrong, something that your wife or your husband was not pleased with, something that a co-worker might have said to you. You're accused of doing something or not doing something, and how do you react? 99% of the time, you spend your time trying to vindicate yourself, trying to prove that somehow, some way, you are not guilty, proven to be right, cleared of blame. That's today's theme, Utica Sunday. It's a fancy word in Latin for simply vindicating. Vindicate me, O Lord, we sang from the intro at Psalm this morning. Our Old Testament reading from Genesis is a very familiar story of Abraham attempting to sacrifice Isaac according to God's command. It has all the elements you would expect of a good novel or one of those binge series that you like to watch on Netflix or Hulu. There is intrigue and there is drama. There's fear and perhaps there's a bit of the sinister. It begins with Abraham taking up Isaac to the mountain. On the mountain, the Lord provides. Don't ever forget that. God always provides on a mountain. Isaac, who is Abraham's only beloved son, is bound to the wood on the altar. And just at the very moment that Abraham is going to raise the sacrificial knife, the angel of the Lord shouts to Abraham, Do not lay up your hand on the boy, for I know that you fear God. Abraham was faithful, he was obedient, and therefore it proved to him to be vindicated before God. Our epistle reading from Hebrews is probably not so much of a familiar text in our minds, but it tells another story of vindication by obedience. This time it is Jesus who is vindicated. This time there was no angel to scream, stop, as Jesus laid on the altar of the cross as nails were being driven into his flesh. And there was no ram caught in a thicket. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who would provide for us this payment needed for the sins of the whole world. He would have the thicket of thorns placed onto his head, pressed down onto his head as he sheds his precious blood for us. He would become the sacrifice for us. He was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Yet he too was vindicated. He was proven right through his resurrection from the grave. However, in all of this, there's another type of vindication that takes place in a much smaller and maybe less cosmic and maybe more of a sort of human way. It's not vindication that comes by obedience, but it's a vindication that comes because of disobedience. Now, you might say, Pastor, that doesn't make any sense. You're not declared right if you do something wrong, but just hear me out. Yes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every last one of us are dirty, rotten sinners to the core. There is no vindication when we are left alone with God's law. Not only is it written on our hearts, but it is also proclaimed to us. It's terrifying our consciences as we hear his word. Left alone with God's law, you and I are toast. There is no vindication, no forgiveness for you. So how can we possibly say that vindication comes by disobedience? Look to the scriptures. The Bible is chock full of stories and accounts 
that point to us of a vindication that comes through people's sins and disobedience. We can think of a few examples. One would be the woman caught up in adultery who's about ready to be stoned to death by the religious officials. Jesus tells the very famous parable of the prodigal son who took his father's inheritance and wasted it. Or we can think of the woman at the well that Jesus encountered who he had met and she said that in, in the end, she did confess to having five husbands. Or we can even think of Joseph, sold to slavery by his brothers and imprisonment, and then lying to their father about his death. Think for a moment about the woman caught up in adultery. Jesus says to her, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no, no one has condemned me, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus, in the midst of her adultery, is there. Jesus is there as society casts her out and wants to put her to death. Jesus is there to vindicate her, not by what she has done, but by his proclamation of his vindication his forgiveness of sins. He doesn't prove the woman right. He proves her to be forgiven. With an example like that, or even of the prodigal son, or the woman at the well, or even Joseph, the question that we have lying before us today is, where are you and I in the midst of this proclamation of God's vindication through the forgiveness of sins? Are you and I the ones whose sins are blatant enough that all can see them, and yet you and I find a way to rationalize them to yourself or even to others? Are you one of the ones to call out the sins of others publicly, seeking their punishment, their humiliation, their need to get their lives straight, while ignoring the mirror that proclaims your own sin? How is it that we look at each other do we judge or do we earnestly desire that God would vindicate them as well? When we look at the sins of others, are we first looking at the depths of our own sin and maybe walking away in quiet humiliation? Or do we pick up the stones ready to throw, ready to put to death? Are we like Jesus bending down to those who are at his feet, begging for forgiveness, begging to be proclaimed vindicated? Or are we like the father who welcomes the prodigal son back home with a robe and a ring and a feast to celebrate his return, all the while realizing the magnitude of our own sin and our need for forgiveness? Or maybe you're like me, blinded at times by my own pride, blinded by my position of standing in a pulpit, blinded by the fact that I would heave stone after stone after stone against those who have sinned against me, those who have sinned against me in ways that I have never maybe sinned before in my own life. We really should just call this Forgiveness Sunday because this is really what it means to live as a Christian today. We can talk all throughout this season of Lent of prayer and fasting and giving as we have. We can talk all about being merciful and loving towards one another. These are the things, Eileen, that you have been called here to do, as with the rest of us. 
We can champion ourselves as the ones who are good and pious and prayer-filled versus the rest of society. We can look at what we have done with the church and how much we have given and supported things, how great of a day this is with calling a deaconess and installing her to serve on our behalf. But what is really the hardest thing for us as a group of Christians here in person and online and everywhere else to do? The hardest thing is to forgive. Boiled down to everything, we really don't want to see God vindicating others by what they have done or left undone. Eileen, that is to be the core and the foundation of the work you are to do here, just as it is for any called worker in the church. Forgiveness. Without forgiveness for you and for others, your work here and my work here is nothing but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. As a drummer, though, I like the sound of those things. The real rub of all of this is forgiveness for others, not just us, but for others as well. And yet that's not what we want, is it? It's just not instinctive in us. Judging and condemning is. Among Christians, condemnation and judgment is the result of believing that somehow we are called to protect the church. We're protecting Jesus and his word or even his sacrament. This is all just a little bit more than hypocrisy, though, when you consider that my own personal opinion and bias is what drives me to judge. The problem that I have is that what Jesus does, what he models and what he commands and instructs us to do is so counterproductive to how I want to live my own life and maybe you as well. I can accept the fact that Jesus carries a cross. Just don't ask me to carry one for Jesus. It's fine that Jesus eats with tax collectors, prostitutes, thieves, and sinners just as long as I don't have to stand next to one, let alone invite them to this place. It's great that the father forgives the prodigal son and spends the lavish amount of wealth and a huge party to welcome him, just as long as I'm not asked to give up of my own possessions or even give the father's love through the forgiveness of sins that has been done against me. We take comfort that Jesus showed compassion and forgiveness, that he forgave the woman caught up in adultery. But don't ask me to love my neighbor who doesn't act like me or tell me to help the addict or the homeless or the one caught up in destructive sins, let alone someone with an alternative lifestyle. Don't tell me to admit the possibility that someone from outside of this place Someone outside of the church, someone I'm not terribly comfortable with, may could very well be my brother or sister in Christ. Today, Jesus wants to show us that no matter who you are and where you are coming from, we are walking under the shroud of death that is completely around us. Whatever we see wrong with outside in our world today is really Jesus waking us up to the reality, waking us up to the world's need that not only we need, but they need as well. He's waking us up to the words 
that we don't always like to hear. Judge not lest you'd be judged, condemn not and you will be condemned, forgive and you will be forgiven. Words not exactly engraved on my heart, but go back to the woman caught up in adultery. Jesus ends this story with a rather cryptic sort of message. He says, go and sin no more. That's one of those things that we probably have pummeled into us through our Sunday school lessons, where in a sense, the Sunday school teacher says to you, now go and sin no more. Do you really think this woman never sinned again? I doubt it. This is what vindication is all about. To be vindicated by God, to be forgiven, is not about our heritage, as the Jews were arguing with Jesus in our gospel reading today. It's all about Christ and his work in and through us. His love and his grace and his Holy Spirit bringing his grace to set right in us what we deserve in our punishment. To set us correct in the sight of Jesus. Being able to be vindicated by God means let God's, letting God's love have his corrective measure for us and his love poured out upon us. And that love is not some gushy, squishy feeling. It is simply found on the cross where Jesus took on our punishment, our shame, our embarrassment, and took all of God's wrath onto himself also that he may declare you to be forgiven, vindicated, proven to be right before God. To be vindicated and forgiven by God, to walk away and sin no more, means that we live in the kingdom of God's grace. Through Christ in us, we are changed as we receive God's grace and mercy, and he changes our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh and blood flowing with the blood of Christ, so that as we are forgiven, we would freely give that forgiveness, that grace and mercy to others. Eileen, this is what you have been called to do, and you're not up to it. No one is unless the love of God is first freely given in and through you. Let God's love have his way with you. Bask in his forgiveness given to you in the means of grace. And let everything that you do in this new role for you be first and foremost about forgiveness. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. It may sound comforting and cute and cuddly, but look at how the Jews responded to Jesus' words today when he simply said, everyone who believes in me shall never see death. They wanted to put him to death. God will strengthen you as you encounter such reactions as well. And for the rest of us, rejoice for today. Rejoice for today that we have this proclamation given to us. Rejoice for today that we have somebody else here to work on our behalf. But don't stand behind her. Stand next to her. Pray for her. Give her the same strength and comfort that you all are receiving today through Christ as well. Stand with her with the question that is before us today. Ask yourself, where do you stand in God's vindication, his forgiveness? 
Yes, it is most certainly true that it is for you, the vindication of proving you right through the forgiveness given to you by Christ's shed blood, but this forgiveness is also for others. God has vindicated you by the precious blood of Jesus. He has set you free from your sins. Allow God's law to correct you when you are caught up in your own sins, when you condemn others. But allow even more so God's grace to fill you up with his life so that his blood would continually wash away your sin and overflow into the lives of others around you all so that you may come to this place and leave this place to show the same unconditional vindicating love to every last person around you, so that we, in a sense, could be a people who are changed, a people of mercy. We, a people who desire to show people being vindicated when they have done so much wrong, all because of the love of Christ. God has equipped you, and he will strengthen you, Eileen, in such a task. His mercy endures for you, and it will flow for you to others so that you may see the love that the Father has for others, that they too might be called the children of God. He is faithful. He will accomplish it in and through you. That's because, just like the rest of us, it has all been bought for us by Jesus. It has all been given to you by Jesus so that we may freely receive and rejoice in it. But now that we also may freely give to those around you the wonderful, blessed vindication purchased by Christ for us and for the life of the whole world. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>